0: What's up everybody?
1: Happy Mother's Day. How are you? It is great to see you. Um, did, Did you bring your mom to church today? No, let's be real. She brought you to church today. Mother's Day is one of the highest attended Sundays of the year. Father's Day is one of the lowest attended Sundays of the year. We're laughing, but that is terrible, guys. So we're gonna, we're gonna make a plan this year that when Father's Day comes around, we're not golfing Sunday morning. We can golf Saturday. We can go fishing Saturday. We can do all that. On Sunday morning, the guys are gonna bring their families to church the way that the mothers bring their families to church. Come on, somebody. If you're watching online, we love you. We miss you. We wish you were in the room. Uh, I'm so glad to see all of you. Hey, so two weeks ago, uh, Kenzie and I celebrated our 10-year anniversary, which was super awesome. Like, what did you guys give each other for your 10-year anniversary? Some kind of sickness. <laughs> we were in bed with fevers and all kinds of stuff, and we're totally better now, but uh, but we got sick. We were at a conference, a pastor's conference, and it just so blessed the two of us. I have to tell you about it just because uh, I want. I, I, we were encouraged by it, and I hope that you're encouraged to hear that we were encouraged that... Uh, while we were there, we connected with some great pastors who were there. Who some of them are longtime friends that we just haven't seen in a long time. Uh, some some of them are brand new connections and relationships. But we were so encouraged. We were so built up. It was so so incredible. But one of the things that I walked away with was just fresh vision and passion for our church. I am so excited about what God's doing in our church. You know, when you when you show up every week and you do church here every week, you can kind of get used to the good thing that we have going on here. But when you talk to other pastors from other cities and you're sharing stories, I am so, so incredibly overwhelmingly just blessed by the church that we have and uh, the people of, of LifeCo and the generosity of LifeCo. When I'm walking up today and I'm seeing boxes and boxes and boxes of diapers and formula and things that are... Um, being given to Grace Homes today, I am just so incredibly thankful. When I'm walking in and I'm seeing new faces serving, today we got someone new on our on our computer here today. Aaron, thank you. We're so glad that you're serving today. Um, when I'm seeing new faces and new, I am just so incredibly grateful for our church. And so I just have to share that with you. I was overwhelmed with love for you, and I, and I don't want you to know that. So uh, you guys are awesome. Give yourselves a hand this morning. Uh, I want to do a Mother's Day message today. I don't usually do this on Mother's Day, Father's Day. We usually stick with whatever series that we're in. But today, I want to give you a Mother's Day message. I think moms are the secret weapon of the world. And I think that, you know, it's, it's a cliche, but it's true, that without moms, none of us would be here. That is very true, but it's more than just birthing a child. There is something that mom does in the culture and the heart of young people and in, in raising their family. And there's something that moms do. Every single one of you is a supermodel. Every mom is a supermodel. What I do not feel like a supermodel. You are a supermodel. If you go to a runway and you see the latest fashion that's being worn and wi- uh, women walking down the, the runway and trying to model fashion or you know that kind of thing, that's not the kind of supermodel I'm talking about. I'm talking about moms who model good attitudes, good behavior, worship for God, love for God. You wear grace and goodness on you and your children see that and you model the best fashion And I'm just so thankful for moms today. And so I want to give a message on moms today. Um, Let's pray. And then we're, hopefully this is going to be a short message because I want you guys to be able to go enjoy your afternoon tea or whatever you have planned. Okay, Father's Day, it's like, leave me alone on the golf course. Mother's Day is like, I'd like the whole family to go to tea today. None of you drink tea, but today you will. So, okay. Okay. God, we thank you for all of our moms. We thank you for how incredible they are. We thank you for the backbone of society that a mom is. We thank you for her strength. We thank you for her grace. We thank you for her wisdom. God, even in scripture, in the book of Proverbs, you refer to wisdom as a she. And So God, we thank you for the wisdom of our moms. We thank you for the wisdom that they bring, the the encouragement, the vision they have for their families, the strength they have for their families. And today, would you help us to honor moms with this message and, uh, and, and really, truly help all of us to grow. Even the, even, in the, even the men in the room today, help us to grow through this message in Jesus' name. Come on, everyone said, amen, amen, amen. amen. There, um, at the very beginning of time, God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1, it talks about how he created all things. He created the sky, He created the sea. He created the fish and the water, He created the birds in the sea, He created the sun and the moon, He created the stars. He created all of these things. And at the end of every day, after God would make these things, he would always say, "It is good. It is good." He would make the seas, he would make the waters, he would make the, he would make the waters above, the waters beneath, the clouds, the sky, the, he would make all these things, and at the end of it he would say, it is good. The first time in scripture where God says, it is not good, is found in Genesis chapter two. Every other time he says, it is good, it is good, it is good, but here in scripture he says, it is not good. The first time God made something and he goes, this is not good yet. Let's read it together. Genesis chapter two says this, the Lord God said it is not good that the man should be alone. The first time in scripture where God says it is not good. I just wanna paint a picture here for you for just a moment. When God made this blobfish he said, it is good. When God made mosquitoes, he said, it is good. When God made Canadian geese, knowing what they would do to make you late for church every Sunday morning, right there at the Walmart, he said, it is good. But when God saw this guy by himself he goes, not good. <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> Houston, we have a problem. I, I do not think this is what the Garden of Eden looked like before Eve arrived. I think it was a mess. I think he was leaving his laundry all over the place. I think there was dishes in the sink. I think there was toothpaste caked all in the, in the sink bowl. Come on, this, it was not good. God saw a, uh, Adam in the garden by himself, and he says, it is not good that the man shall be alone. Let's read this. It's not good that the man shall be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, I know there's a lot of women who are like, "I don't you dare call me his helper don't you dare. I'm not going to be a helper to this guy, right? I'm not his helper. I don't need no man. I don't need no, you know, that's, that's what you're thinking today, right? And you think, I'm not weak. I'm not going to be his helper. Um, the one who needs help is the weak one. <laughs> the helper is the one who's like, let's get this sorted out. Okay. Here's the thing. God made man with a purpose, he made Adam with a purpose to bring order, to rule, to name, to name and bring bring clarity to the animals. Like, okay, this is a giraffe, and this is a, to, to bring focus, to bring clarity. He entrusted Adam with the word. He said, "Hey, Adam, here's what I want you to do. You can eat of any of these trees, but you can't eat of that one." He gave Adam a role and a responsibility, but God also recognized that Adam by himself couldn't do it. He needed a Helper, fit for him. This word helper, if you're just like, oh man, I don't, anything but being his helper, right? Um, The Holy Spirit is called our helper. God, all throughout the Old Testament, is referred to as our helper. He's our ever-present help in time of need. There's a divine order when God made woman where he said, okay, I've given man a responsibility But he needs some help, and so I'm going to make him a helper fit for him. The man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the, that, God, that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. I love this. In the historic teaching of the church, we've always taught, for thousands of years now, the church has always taught that woman was brought out of the side of man, not at his feet to be trampled on, not at his head to rule over him, but from his side, so that they would walk side by side with one another. From the beginning, God's plan when he made Adam and then he brought Eve out of Adam, he's not going, he's not going, uh, I'm gonna make a two-part system where you know the man has all the power and all the whatever and the woman is just this weak, subservient thing. No, they stand side by side with one another. They each occupy a different thing. They each have a different gift. They each have a different purpose. They each have a different uh, function. And in that function, there is order. And in that function, there is clarity. And in that order, there is responsibility. But there, she's from his side. Are you hearing me today? So he, he brings the woman to the man. Then the man said, this, is the, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. It's a horrible joke. I've heard it my whole life. But, God, but Adam named woman, because when he saw her, he goes, whoa, man. <laughs> it's such a bad joke. It's such a bad joke. But that's, that's how we get woman, okay? Whoa, man. Because she is taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. A couple observations from this passage. okay? Observation number one is this. Observation number one is this. Go, there we go. Helper is used of God throughout the Old Testament, not connoting weaker. Not it, it, helper does not mean that the woman is some weak, inferior being. Now, like we do know that physically there are differences with men and women. We do know that emotionally there's differences and all these things. Helper does not mean that it is a weaker being that God created. God is referred to. As helper, All right, here's another observation. Fit, uh, a helper fit for him is the word conegdo, which means like against him. In other words, I'm gonna make a helper that is like him in the sense that she is human, but against him in the sense that she is nothing like him. Now, how many, how many people, when you think of your spouse, you think, yeah, they are like against me You are a human, but that's where our similarities end. (laughs) And when you're speaking to each other, you feel often like, are we on the like part or the against part right now? There's differences. There's, he, he made woman to be like, but opposite. He made woman to not be the same. Why? You can't help somebody. If, if God makes two of the same thing, how are we going to help each other? How are we going to complement each other? How are we going to do the things God's called us to if I have a helpmate who is exactly like me, who is exactly the way that I am? God makes a helper who is like against. All right, here's another observation. This connecto refers to her biology and her emotional difference. This is not just that he made two people physically different, he also made her emotionally different. He made her think differently. He made her care about different things. He made her see things differently. Now, when Adam first sees her, he's like, finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. In other words, I see a human being that I can be in partnership with. I would have loved to have been around when the first arguments arose between Adam and Eve. And I would have loved to have seen how Adam was trying to deal with this with Eve. Like, God, you made a mistake. I don't think it's too late for you to fix this. Put me back to sleep. Take a toenail or something. And do a little bit more magic. Because this is not working out, God. Right. I would love to have been around when Adam and Eve started to figure out, like so, so God brings them together and they start having children. And I would love to have been there when they were having discussions about what is our child gonna be? I'm a man, you're a woman. What is this thing gonna be? Is this gonna be some new third thing? Like, what is this going to be? I would have loved to have seen they knew nothing, they had no concept but but immediately when God brought them together he immediately goes this is good all the tensions all the trying to figure things out all the tr- all the all the fights that they had about this thing or that thing and you know all the different things but God is going no this is good why because now there is a helper fit for him that there is a being who is like him but against him they do not occupy the same space kenzie always jokes with me, um, I, I say joke, I think she's serious. <laughs> she says all the time in our house, I'm so outnumbered, okay, I'm so outnumbered. I have two daughters, seven and four. We do have a, a boy dog, and that was by design, okay? Because I was like, I am, I am drowning here, right? So we, we, got a, we got a boy dog, but I have two daughters and a wife, and so I'm living in a house that is just like dominated by women, okay? And Kenzie says to me all the time, she's just like, I just feel like there's something about men that they're just missing something. (laughs) There's just like some awareness or some emotion or some something that men just do not understand. And I get all like mad and I'm like, babe, I think there's stuff about women that you're missing and you just don't understand what, you know, whatever. And, and I'm like, is she joking or is she serious? I think she's serious. I think she's serious. You know what it is? God did not give everything to one of the genders. He gave me some things that she doesn't have and her some things that I don't have. Why? Because he designed, by design, he wanted the two to have to be together and work together. He wanted me to carry things differently than Kenzie. He wanted the husband to have to do different things and think different ways, and he wanted the wife, the, the, the woman, the mother to have different, why did he do that? He could have made us all the same, he could have made us all self-sufficient, but God, by his brilliance and by his goodness and by his, his genius nature, he goes, no, it's not good for man to be alone. So I'm gonna make him a helper who is like against him. Now, when I think about this, I then start to think about raising a family. This is not just about husband and wife. This is not just about marriage. This is also about raising a family. When kids come along, dads do different things than mothers do, right? Whenever um, kids are born, you know there's always a race to see which parent's name they're gonna learn first, Right, with story, it was like, okay, is she gonna say mama or dad at first? And I I she said dad first, okay? She said dad first. With scout, is she gonna say mom or dad first? Right? She started saying mom and she has not stopped for four years saying mom, 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 mom. I don't even know if she knows that I have a name. She's just mom, 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 mom. The other day, I took her on a date, and while we're out, she goes, I want mom. <laughs> like, what am I doing wrong here? But there's just a thing. Moms and dads handle life differently. They think about different things. You know, when, I, when it's time for me to leave in the morning and I'm up and I'm thinking about work. I'm thinking about the things, the meetings we have today, the people we're, we're counseling today, the things, you know, the, the, the message that I'm writing today, that's where my brain is. And Kenzie's like, uh, like I'm, I'm like in the car getting ready to leave and she's like, did you forget the children, right? And they're like in the house, not dressed with, with stuff all over the place. Moms and dads think different. They work different. But he, here's what's crazy to me is if you go to, people who are on TV, a football player, the big burly football player, and the camera goes to him. What's the thing he says? He doesn't say, hi, dad. He says, hi, mom, right? People don't get dad tattoos, they get mom tattoos. (laughs) Every big, burly, ripped dude has a tattoo of his mom somewhere on his body. Do you have a tattoo of your mom on your body? Do you have a tattoo of your dad? After this service, you're gonna go get a tattoo of your mom. You're gonna put it somewhere really visible. Yeah, I'll pay for it, okay. (laughs) It's like, what what is this thing? There's this thing that even when we grow up, even when we grow, there's a love and affection for mom. Why? Because mom occupies a space in the family that nobody else can occupy. Mom is a nurturer. She's a lover. She's a carer. She, she gives attention. She gives focus. Now, I'm not talking about you know, personality things. Your mom might be a little more this, and your dad might be a little more this. I'm talking about there's a thing that a mom brings to the equation that without her is just absolutely lacking. And this is by God's design. Now, when I think about all this, I think about one of my favorite moms in the Bible, and I think that this is how I think life co-moms are, okay? Kenzie and I did a study three or four years ago about um, Jacobet. This is, this is Moses' mom. Her name is Jacobet, and uh, she is one of the coolest, toughest moms, I think, throughout all Scripture. You know, we could go to Mary... That would, be, that would be a pretty awesome mom, but I don't feel like anyone here would feel like you could live up to mother of God, okay? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about Jacobed for just a moment. Um, in Exodus chapter one, we see this. In Exodus chapter one, Pharaoh says this, when you assist the Hebrew women in childbirth, observe at the delivery. If it's a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. But the midwives feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them. I love that. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let your boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. I love this. Listen to this line right here. The the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for the Hebrew women are vigorous. They give birth before the midwife gets to them. So So God treated the midwives well, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he made households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all of his people, all sons that are born you must throw into the river, but all daughters you may let live. And you know what I love about this story is that Pharaoh is concerned about the men. He doesn't want the Israelites to grow strong, so he says, We're gonna kill the men. And what I love about this is that it's the women here in this story who defend, who protect, who keep them alive. And then when they go to Pharaoh and he goes, Why are you disobeying my orders? They tell a brilliant story. Hey, our women are not like your women. Your women are in labor for 24 hours. You know, they're they're laying up in hospital beds. Our women, they have the baby. And we can't get there fast enough. So we don't know that it's a boy or a girl. So sorry, we can't help you. And they did that because they feared the Lord. There's something about a tough, fierce woman that will just say like, hey, that, that edict from the government is not from God. That, that edict that you're telling me, that is not a godly thing, and I'm rejecting that. And what did, what did they do? They said, no, we're gonna, we're gonna reject that. What are we gonna do? We're gonna defend these lives. So they don't do this. They lie to Pharaoh. And because of that, God creates households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all the people, all the sons that are born you must throw into the river, but your daughters you may let live. Exodus chapter two goes on. It's way too long of a passage to read, so I'll tell you the story. Yabed has a son, and this son is a beautiful boy, and she she is instantly worried about his future and about his life, because she's living in a world where Pharaoh wants all of the young boys killed. So Yabed raises him for three years in secrecy, sorry, for three months in secrecy, nurses him in secrecy for three months cares for him for three months in secrecy, and then as he gets too big, she's starting to realize, I can't hide him anymore. You know, there's a, there's, there's a point where she's just like, I can't hide him anymore. He's, he's growing too much, he's making too much noise, I can't hide him anymore. So she goes down and she makes a basket of reeds, and she waterproofs it with tar and with pitch, and she makes this little baby ark, so to speak, and puts... Moses into the ark, into this little boat, and pushes him into the Nile. And now, can you imagine just the fear that would overwhelm you as a mom with doing that? But she's going, my options are that he is surely going to die, or I can release him and hope and pray that God would care for him and take care of him. So she puts him in and she pushes, pushes him out into the water, and her daughter, Miriam follows the boat, follows to see where it goes, and the boat of all places goes to Pharaoh's house. Now, when it reaches Pharaoh's house, one of Pharaoh's daughters is out bathing in the waters and she sees this basket and she opens the basket and sees that there's a baby in there. And she says, oh, a Hebrew child. And Miriam kind of sees the the woman and she sees The baby and sees Miriam and she waves Miriam to come to her. And Miriam comes to her and she says, this is a Hebrew child. And Miriam says, would you like me to find a Hebrew woman to nurse him? And Pharaoh's daughter, the Bible says, looked on to this baby with compassion and said, yes, would you go find me a Hebrew woman to take care of him? I will pay her to nurse him. Moses gets taken by Moses' sister back to Jochebed who nurses the child and is paid by Pharaoh to nurse the child. This sounds like LifeCo women to me. <laughs> this sounds like women who are, you know, strong, brilliant, gritty, scrappy, ingenious <laughs> you're trying to kill my son but by the wisdom of god i am now raising my son in my house paid for by you that's a tough mama so she's so she's now has the son now as the son gets older there comes a point where she has to release him Into Pharaoh's house. And so they take him and they release him into Pharaoh's house. But Jewish thinkers and teachers have taught us that Jacob and Miriam maintained a relationship with Moses even while he was living in Pharaoh's house. So here's this mom whose baby should have been killed. She gets to raise him and nurse him and put God into him and put Jewish thought into him and load him up with, you know, like with, with the teachings of Abraham and teach those stories, all these things. He gets to hear those. Then he goes into Pharaoh's house and man, he, he's been equipped by a fighting mother. He has been nursed by a fighting mother. He has been matured by a fighting mother. And what do we know about Moses? Moses becomes the deliverer of God's people in the very home that meant to strike down the Israelites, because of the faithfulness of the midwives, because of the ingeniousness of Jacob, because of God's work through her, she raised a deliverer for their entire country. That's a tough mama. There's three things that I take from, from her life one is the grit of a mom, the grit of a mom, the toughness of a mom, the, 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 that thing of a mom that rises up. We have, we have the term mama bear for a reason, okay? It's not, the, it's not the daddy bears that people are scared of. It's the mama bears. Why? The dad bear's out hunting, he's out doing his thing, he's out, he's out bringing food home, he's out providing. What is the mama bear? She's watching guard over her children's life. And if you get too close, man, she rises up as a fierce defender of her children. The grit of that mom, the grit of, man, when I think of LifeCo moms, I think of gritty people. I think of not weak, not, not inferior, not scared, not nervous, but faith-filled, godly, full of hope, full of faith, full of vision for their children, full of, full of just, man, just just like Like this is my child that God has entrusted me with and I'm gonna fight for them, I'm gonna defend them, I'm gonna care for them, I'm gonna nurture them. There was a a guy who used to run all 60,000 employees at Walt Disney World, his name's Lee Cockrell, and he said if he ever wrote another book, it would be called Manage Like a Mother. He said, why? He said, because moms have clear vision for their children. They have high expectations their children. They care and nurture their children, even when it costs them, even when it hurts them. When I think about that, I think about the grit of a mom. I also think about the sacrifice of a mom. When I think about Jacob, I think about her sacrifice that she had to entrust. She had to trust God that she either could have lived in the grief of losing her son or the fear of releasing her son And she had the courage to step into the fear of releasing her son rather than to live in the grief of losing her son. What do I mean by this? It is sometimes easier to just see things come to an end, grieve it, and move on. But Jacobed knew if I release him, I might live in fear the rest of my life about where he's ended up and what he's up to and what's going on. But I choose... To sacrifice my, I choose to, to release him rather than to hold him even at his expense. Are you hearing me? I choose to push him out. I choose to trust God. I choose to lay down my desire and, my, and I choose to trust God. And in doing so, God returned him to her house. The sacrifice of mom. I think about the moms in our church and how you live that kind of life every single day, the sacrifice of mom. Where you have tough decisions, sometimes to do the thing that would be easiest for you, but you, you decide instead to do the thing that's right for your child. You, instead of doing the thing that's tough, you know, that's easy for you, you decide I'm gonna lay down my own, I'm gonna trust God with my child, I'm gonna trust God with this situation, I'm gonna trust God, are you hearing me today? The sacrifice of mom. The third one's the legacy. Of mom. In Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and he says this He says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he talked about the faith that was in his grandmother and his mom that now is in Timothy. Timothy was a pastor of a church, he was a young guy in, in, uh, in comparison to the other leaders and he's a young man who is pastoring this church and Paul is discipling him and when Paul thinks about Timothy, his legacy does not begin with your dad was a pastor, three, you know, three gener- uh, your granddad was a pastor and then he was a pastor and then the legacy begins with the faith that was in your grandmother and is, was in your mother and now is in you. There's a legacy of faith in the house of Timothy. There's a legacy that comes through Jacobed by trusting God, by caring for Moses. The way she raised Moses, she didn't didn't raise Moses to think like the Egyptians. She raised Moses, paid for by the Egyptians, she raised Moses to think like God's people. Later when he grew up, that legacy, that stuff that she was putting into him, the, the songs that she sang over him, the stories that she told him, all of these things came out of him as he, as he was older. When God called him to be a deliverer, man, she put a legacy inside of him. That same legacy is the legacy, that, that story, what Jacob had put into Moses, is what made Moses then go in front of Pharaoh and say, let my people Go and eventually, after plagues and plagues and plagues, delivered Israel out of the hands of Egypt. That story does not begin with Moses. That story begins with Jacobeth. Are you hearing me? There's a legacy there of a mom. There's a legacy there of a mom who chooses to, to instill God into her children to fight for her children, to to fend off the big, powerful outside influences and to say, no, I'm gonna raise my kid to be godly. I'm gonna raise my kid to to believe. I'm gonna raise my kid to have faith. I'm gonna raise my kid. The same thing with Timothy. That faith that was in your grandmother has passed to your mother is now in you. There's a legacy. When I think about this, I, I often think, my dad taught me certain things in my life growing up, but there were some things I only learned from watching my mother My grandmother, the women around me. I did not learn how to pray from my dad, although my dad was a very praying man. He prayed all the time, but he prayed, and you know, he he always had a room in his house that was a a room where he would go and he would pray. He, He prayed by himself. My grandmother would take me by the hand and walk in the park and pray with me as we were walking, and she would never stop praying. I learned how to pray from my grandmother. I think about the stories, the Bible stories and the songs that got put in. I learned how to worship from my mother. When I was a kid, we would be in the car and she would turn on worship songs and she would start singing and I learned how to worship from my mother. I think even to this day, it's kind of silly because every now and then we'll turn on like an old worship album and my mom and I will go to town and everyone else in the family is looking at us like, you guys are so weird. You know, it's usually Ron Cannoli, okay? So we'll we'll turn on Ron Cannoli, Ancient of Days, and we'll be bouncing around the house. My mom taught me how to worship, right? The legacy of a mom. I I wanna kind of land the plane here today on Mother's Day with with this, and this is such a simple takeaway from today, and that is honor your mother. Honor your mother, Let's let's read this verse in Ephesians. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. just say this one more time. If you honor your father and your mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on this earth. Maybe if you just stop and ask yourself the question today, things are not going well for me, what is going on? We might be able to say, how's your relationship in honoring your father and your mother? How's your relationship in honoring, Kyle, you don't understand. You're talking about all these great moms, my mom wasn't that. Honor your mother. Well, you don't understand, like she and I, we didn't always see eye to eye. Honor your mother. Well, you don't, you, Kyle, you don't understand. Like, my mom was abusive and she was this and she was that. Okay, that's what was. Today, honor your mother. Honor your mother. This is the first command. In other words, it is a command from God. There is no stipulation when God says honor your mother on what kind of mother she must be for you to honor her, it's a command. Honor your mother. And then he says, that it may go well with you and you might have a long life on the earth. I don't think what he's saying is if you dishonor mom, she'll kill you. Okay, that's not what I think he's saying. I think there's something here about the principle of honoring the, the, whether you had a good mom or a bad mom, whether your mom's great today or not, whatever it may be, you are breathing today. Today because your mother brought you into the world. You are alive today because your mother brought you. I I wanna just for a moment to all the moms in the room, I wanna say this to a couple of different moms. One, the mom guilt mom. Dads don't have dad guilt, okay? Moms have mom guilt. They like carry it all around with them all the time about what they should have done and how they could have done this and how they could have. You're doing a great job. I want you to know if you're raising your kid in the house of God, if you're loving them and and caring for them, and you are doing a great job, mom, okay? Release yourself from the mom guilt. The other thing I wanna say to you today is there's a lot of women who may be trying to have a kid and are struggling to have children right now. When I study the moms in the Bible, there is an insane amount of mothers in the, in, in the Bible who could not conceive, who God miraculously gave children. Think about Sarah who was in her old age and God blessed her with children. You think about Hannah who can't have kid and she's praying and she's praying and then God provides a child for her. You think about uh, uh, um, uh, Leah and Rachel. Leah's popping out kids left and right and her sister's like, I'm not providing any children. And there's, there's all these stories in scripture of moms who are unable to conceive and God opens their womb and gives them children. I wanna say this today for, for all the women in the room who are like, man, I'm, I'm struggling to conceive and I can't conceive. I want, I want you to join with the faith of the mothers of our faith who believed God, who trusted God, and who God blessed with children. Are you hearing me? Now for all of us in the room, we're gonna lean into honor your mother. Honor your mother. How do I honor my mother? Uh, could be a simple phone call today. I love you, mom. Well, Kyle, you don't understand what she, love unconditionally. That's what honor looks like. Might be a hug for your, f- to your mom. Go hug your mom. That's a way to honor your mom. It might be a kind word to your mom. That's a way to honor your mom. It might be listening to your mom for once. Come on, somebody might be listening to your mom. It might be putting the clothes in the hamper. It might be making the bed. It might be doing what she told you to do the first time she told you to do it. You know, come on. That's that's what honoring mom could look like. If your mom is older in age, it might be just time. It might be just sitting and listening to her. It might be hearing her stories and hearing what's going on. It might be patiently understanding her as she's, as she's going through stuff or thinking through stuff. Or you know, she, it might just be, whatever that is, honor your mother. I'm gonna ask you this, do you wanna live a long life? <laughs> do you want things to go well for you? Honor your mother. I'm gonna pray a prayer over you and then you can go enjoy tea today, okay? God, I thank you for all the moms at LifeCo. I thank you that they're like Jacobed women, God, that they, are, that they are fierce, that they are strong, that they are fighters, that they don't roll over when, when Pharaoh says, you know, you gotta give up your children, but they, but they fight and they care and they love and they support. And I thank you for the moms of this house I thank you that they set an example for their family that they say, no, we're gonna be at church today, that's where I wanna be. God, I thank you for that example. I thank you for, just like Timothy, the the faith that was in the grandmother and in the mother and now in you. God, I thank you for how many people in this room today that mom is providing a legacy for the family, a legacy of faith, a legacy of trusting God. I thank you. And God, today on Mother's Day, I pray for those moms those those young women or those older women who who cannot conceive or have been trying to conceive God I pray that just like the matriarchs in the Bible that 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 they would believe you and that they would trust you and that you would open their womb that you would provide children for them God I thank you for it God you did it so many times throughout scripture and I'm asking you today God those who can't conceive I pray that you would bless them that you would open their womb God that you would provide children for them. We thank you for all of our moms. Help us to honor them. Help us to love them.